Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus Van Staden from the University of Johannesburg Center for African Foreign Policy and Diplomacy. Good afternoon, Kobus. Good afternoon. Well, today we're going to focus on a very interesting development in security issues in Africa, where the Chinese People's Liberation Army has、uh, deployed 395 United Nations blue-helmeted peacekeepers、uh, to Mali. Now, this raises a, a, a lot of sensitivities for people because we are not really accustomed to seeing,、uh, you know, armed PLA soldiers in other parts of the world. So it really caused a lot of, you know, like you know, eyebrows to stand up when you see the again they were blue-helmeted. Helmeted, but you know, to see machine gun-toting Chinese soldiers with their you know red and gold flags on their on, on their arm、uh, land in Mali, it、uh, it did catch people's attention. So we're going to talk about today the the questions of you know is Af- China's military relationship in Africa deepening? And there's some wonderful cri-、uh, criticism of that perception on our Facebook page. And we're also going to talk about the situation in Mali and China's engagement there on military grounds. So Kobus, tell us a little bit about what the what Kinds of soldiers the Chinese deployed who make up that 395 member、uh, unit. The the this is the issue. The the China the kinds of soldiers is is what's important because China has been has been deploying left and right for you know they've been deploying personnel for a lot of UN missions and those are mostly medical teams and support staff.、Um, in fact, China is the biggest、um, contributor to UN missions of. Any of the of the Permanent Security Council members、uh, in the UN,、um, but the fact that these are these are combat troops is the big issue.、Um, this isn't the first time that they've deployed combat troops in Africa. They they deployed a small group of them in 2011 in South Sudan,、um, and at that stage they were mostly characterised as being there to protect other you know Chinese support staff and medical teams and so on.、Um, this time it's a bit more of them, even though the government is still the Chinese. Government is still characterising it as mostly guarding people and not that they they playing down any idea that they're actually going to be doing、um, active fighting, but they are armed and they are deploying medical teams, engineering teams,、uh, and、uh, and infrastructure teams as well to to help kind of Mali、uh, get back on its feet. There, let's also not forget that the the, Ch- the Chinese Navy, the People's Liberation Army Navy,、uh, has been active in deployment off the coast of Somalia in 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 multinational. Anti-piracy operations, where they have deployed the Shuzhou、uh, frigate, which is, of course, a battle group that is the most advanced Chinese battle group, if I understand correctly,、uh, that is out there. So, so this is this is not unprecedented. What the interesting thing, and, and I got called out on Facebook by、uh, by one of our followers, Stephen Guo, who who point, I kind of made the、uh, made the leap, which I don't think I, which I definitely should not have made, that this is representative of China's deepening military engagement in Africa. And Stephen pointed. Out to me, saying, "Listen, don't confuse, you know, a you know Chinese military engagement in Africa with multilateral UN operations. So, these these UN peacekeepers are under United Nations command. They are not under the People's Liberation Army command,、uh, and there is really no evidence that Stephen pointed out, and he is he really seems to speak with some confidence on this." That the PLA is deploying its soldiers in Africa. There is no real evidence that there's a deepening relationship other than the traditional military-to-military relationships that have existed between the Chinese and African countries for decades. So I think that was an interesting distinction to make between multilateral peacekeeping operations and People's Liberation Army policy on its own. 
I think it's also interesting to keep in mind that um, that obviously the original intervention was symbolically led by France, and France was where it was instrumental in leading it. Since then, it's shifted a bit to be much more, you know, in, in terms of you know, in terms of perception, anyway, to be to be led by ECOWAS. So it's a you know, obviously, it's kind of um, so China, I think. Is now working with a you know a regional West African body and the UN. You know, going to so it's it's not a situation necessarily where China is throwing its weight in with France. And I think the the kind of symbolic difference between those two is pretty important. So a, a Chinese Defense Ministry spokesman defined the mission as being quote. The Chinese security force is actually a guard team that will mainly be responsible for the security of the UN mission headquarters and the living areas of peacekeeping forces. So it is unlikely that we will see uh, these Chinese troops engaged in combat unless the UN compound comes under direct attack, which is not inconceivable, of course. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think when we see the deployment of, of, of Chinese peacekeepers to a place like Mali right now, where French troops and the United, the United States military have been in active military conflict for the past uh, 6 to 12 months, that is, I think that's where people are getting kind of confused, because this really seemed to to touch on a nerve. On our Facebook page, uh, opinion was split. We had a number of people coming down saying, you know what, it's great to finally see the Chinese stepping up to their global responsibilities. It's great to see them engaged in a multilateral operation. It's nice to dilute some of the presence of Western traditional colonial powers who have been actively engaged uh, on the continent for the past three years. Let's kind of make a list of where France has been, you know, been putting themselves. Mm. France was involved in military conflict in Cote d'Ivoire, in the Ivory Coast, in Libya, in, uh, and also now in Mali. So it's been a very busy past few years for France militarily. Uh, the Chinese haven't, you know, are not in that space at all. Uh, but yet we also had a lot of dissenters who said, listen, this is how it begins. This is what the first steps of China's military, you know, presence on the continent starts. And people got a little nervous. Already, we've talked about earlier in the week, you know, caution coming from uh, South Africa and, and uh, you know, about saying that, you know, the way that the, United, the, the, the Chinese and Africans have been engaging is not necessarily in Africa's favor. And here we are now on a military platform. So it seems to be a very polarizing subject. Yeah, it is. But, you know, kind of, I have to say, the idea that China is now going to militarize its presence in Africa on a wide scale seems very paranoid to me. I mean, there's no real need to. I mean, if, if you discount, you know, some kind of chaos breaking out in an, in an African state where Chinese citizens themselves are in massive danger, the way that they were in Libya or in the Central African Republic, and they need to be removed, that's one thing. But, you know, I just don't think that the Chinese have the interest or, you know, or even, you know, they, they probably do have the resources, but I mean, you know, kind of they're facing a lot of of chaos within China. You know, and this is obviously, this is a point that, that uh, Dabisa Moya has been making a lot, um, is that, you know, kind of there's enough, they're facing enough problems in China that have no interest in, in militarizing their presence anywhere else, um, or you know, outside of Asia, anyway. Um, so it, it seems very far fetched to me. Yes, I mean, let's let's kind of delve on that point a little bit here about where the focus of the 
PLA is. Um, I, I think you're absolutely right that the PLA has no interest whatsoever in dealing with African military operations. It is just the PLA right now is, you know, is in this massive, massive buildup right now to catch up and close the technology gap with the United States. That is a very time-consuming and energy-consuming process. You know, they're obviously they're using, well, not obviously, but it's reported that they are using, you know, some illicit means through cyber hacking to, to, to steal that technology. But more importantly, the territorial disputes between China and Japan and China and a host of Southeast Asian countries over, uh, over uh, you know, over disputed islands. Uh, there is military conflict and tension that's occurring on the Indian-Chinese border. Uh, the Vietnamese-Chinese border is always a tense border. So you have, you know, the PLA's got its hands full. Uh, so I think you're, you're absolutely right to kind of highlight the fact that this is not something they want to get. So I think, you know, it, it, we talked about narrative in our last podcast, and it fits really nicely in with an, with an African victimization narrative of foreign military powers on the continent. And it sometimes can be very difficult for people to separate, uh, you know, the legacy of colonialism that was so brutal with uh, what the Chinese are doing. And I don't mean to sound condescending there at all because, you know, it, but at the end of the day, I think it can be confusing for some people. Yeah, I think, you know, Africans today, obviously, they come from a real history on these issues. Yeah. Um, so they're not talking from a vacuum, you know. It's, it's not like a kind of a red dawn kind of fantasy, you know, that, that you sometimes see in the, in the U.S. But it's, um, it, yeah, you know, kind of, it's just, it, it seems very far away from anything that China, that real China in, real, in the real world would actually be interested in. You know, but a lot of that, you know, when, when looking at the reporting of this, um, a lot of the kind of more alarmist reporting didn't come from African media. It came from the American media. And, you know, and, and in the Pew report that we talked about earlier this week, uh, you know, perceptions of China from the United States are, you know, reaching historical lows. Uh, they're, they're now in, you know, they've gone from 50% down into the mid-30s. And so they're falling precipitously as cynicism and tension with, between the United States and China increase over cyber hacking, trade, you know, a number of different things. And this fits an American narrative of, you know, that the defense industry, I believe, has been very successful in persuading people to believe that the justification for the United States to spend more money on its defense because of a more assertive Chinese military global strategy. So when the presence of Chinese armed Chinese peacekeepers, you know, shows up in the newspapers in the United States, you know, companies like Boeing, Lockheed, uh, you know, Booz Allen, they go, this is great for business. Yeah, and I mean, there's, there's obviously there's been a long-term, you know, kind of narrative in, in, in right-wing circles in the U.S. that the U.N. is pretty much a Trojan horse or can't be trusted or, you know. So the idea that these Chinese are, are working as bilateral peacekeepers in part, as part of a U.N. mission, I mean, that has very, carries little, very little weight in, in, in the American press anyway, or certain sectors of it anyway. I want to bring up the question of, of security contractors uh, and, you know, otherwise known as Mercenaries, and and this is another issue that I got into a discussion with Stephen Guo, uh, who is again one of our Facebook followers and who seems very very articulate on, on these issues, much more articulate than me. And so I, I I give him all the deference in the world on this subject. Uh, but we saw last year uh, kidnappings of large numbers of Chinese workers in South Sudan. We saw kidnappings in Egypt. Uh, there have been problems in the DRC, and as China's footprint in Africa, it, you know. It gets bigger and bigger and continues to enlarge, the vulnerability of its citizens there goes up. And, you know, so the United States, you know, when they are abroad 
in conflict areas, they employ uh, private security contractors who are basically ex-military. Stephen pointed out that there's no real evidence that the Chinese are employing or deploying Chinese security contractors. Uh, He says that there may be that they hire local security contractors. But one of the areas that I might see the Chinese being vulnerable and there might be a demand to actually protect those people from being kidnapped, uh, both from their own domestic public opinion, but also from the corporations that are that are there, might be on that front of security contractors. What's your thought on that? Yeah, I think I think that's that's really true. Um, you know, I think obviously for any kind of big infrastructure or mining operation in Africa, um, you need a certain amount of security there. Um, so um, a very good friend of mine um, is an engineer who works in mining, um, and he's done a lot of work in the DRC, and, you know, they have security because because they're in you know they're like you know a few kilometers away from Goma or like somewhere you know kind of in in really kind of you know troublesome kind of areas where you know kind of where there's a real danger a real day to day danger of people being kidnapped or robbed you know so um so i think that's that's a real thing um and what's frequently what we we saw in the past i think with with chinese state owned companies is that um they set up these compounds and then there is a lot of pressure on the workers not to leave the compound um they try to make the compound as, as nice as possible, and then they try and keep them there as, as much as they can, except for when they're working. But of course, you know, it's that's a kind of a difficult and expensive thing to do. Um, and you know, so they probably will end up having to get more of these contractors, particularly contractors that have experience of working in Africa, which you know, I would guess would be locals or people who come from, you know, ex-colonial or South African, because there's lots and lots of South Africans working in this, in this field, um, you know, so, so they might simply contract them out, um, you know, among other reasons, because they don't want to be, they don't want to have Chinese people with guns, you know, kind of manning a compound anyway. Um, it's, it's probably easier for them to just have, to, to contract it out to other countries, you know, security well, mercenaries, basically. Yeah, that's not really the PR that they're looking for. Now, now this, yeah. is, this is the China in Africa podcast, so obviously we're focusing on the African side of this. Um, but really, you know, a number of Africa policy experts are, or, or you know, even Sino-African experts are actually saying it's a mistake to look at this purely in an African context. They're, they're saying this is really part of China's evolution of stepping up on a global scale. So uh, Professor Brautigam, who we often quote on this show, uh, she's at uh, Johns Hopkins University. Uh, Johns Hopkins University School of Advanced International Studies, and she's kind of a well-known and reputed China-Africa scholar. She says, and, and this is a quote that uh, from Foreign Policy magazine, this role is not limited to Africa, and thus I, that's her, don't see the current shift as an Africa, quote-unquote, policy, but rather the evolution of their UN role, coupled possibly with long-standing special relationships with Mali. So I think that's interesting that, you know, she's encouraging us to step back a little bit and see this part of, of, of China's global emerging global role as a, you know, as you said, you know, they're, they're the largest con- contributor to peacekeeping operations now, and the fact that, you know, this is probably happening in other parts of the world uh, as part of the, the emerging superpower role that it's taking. Yeah, I mean, you, you could swing it the other way as well and say that what, what's really revealed here is not necessarily China's, you know, well, I mean, also China's kind of greater international role, but 
global concern about instability in the Sahel um, and you know kind of um, the the kind of Islamic room of of Africa um, that's also you know there's, there's a lot of global concern about the situation in Nigeria particularly around the, the group Boko Haram um, and you know kind of greater fear that that chaos and, and instability um, around the, the eastern Mediterranean um, and in the Middle East is seeping down through the Sahara to Africa. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, yeah, you know, that, that, that probably is, I think if people are worried about that. Well, it's worth noting that Boko Haram, along with Al-Qaeda, have both identified and singled out China as, uh, as one of their targets um, for terrorism, in part because of the tense relationship that China has with its own Uyghur Muslim population in the far west Xinjiang province. So it'll be interesting to see if China starts to put its, its, its UN military peacekeeping hat on in Muslim countries if that does not actually aggravate the situation because China's relationship with its Muslim population, um, let's put it politely and say it's tense, let's put it rudely and say it's oppressive. Uh, Al-Qaeda and Boko Haram have both said that they, they, they find it offensive what's happening there. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, if, if Chinese UN soldiers become targets for these groups, these militant groups, who are increasingly uh, pissed off by, by what China's doing in its rest of Muslim, Muslim regions. So that'll be one thing to watch. When you look, um, you know, you, let's, let's kind of, you know, look forward a little bit here. Where else do you see in Africa a, a role for Chinese uh, military, oper- you know, multilateral military operations? But, you know, that could be, you know, so obviously Somalia is one place. We're looking at Mali. Where else do you think Chinese could play a role as part of a multilateral uh, military operation? Well, South Sudan, possibly, depending on how, on how things go. Um, obviously, China has been very involved in peace, peacemaking in South Sudan, in, in facilitating negotiations between Sudan and South Sudan. Um, and they've also, you know, obviously, they, they did deploy there before to, to guard their own people. They also have a very heavy... Uh, economic investment there, and a bunch of Chinese people who live there um, who need to be protected. So that's that's possibly, you know, one one area. Um, one after, one would also have to look at what happens in Egypt. You know, kind of because in the past we've had there, there have been in the last while lots and lots of Chinese people oh, in Egypt. Yeah, but I think Egypt is so, way way too know. volatile for them. I mean, that is you yeah. know, for any foreign military power I mean, showing up in Egypt today. I'm going to put the DRC on the list, and the DRC is interesting because. Uh, it's the largest UN operation in the world, it, and the rules of engagement have recently changed in the DRC, giving uh, more latitude to UN soldiers to engage with, with rebel militants. It, the reason I think it's interesting, and it may not be that they're in combat operations, but they may start to play a bigger role, uh, in part from our discussions with Johanna Janssen and a number of other experts on this, that the Chinese economic interests in the DRC are sizable. And given that their role in the UN, it might be interesting to see either in a support capacity or in a combat capacity that the Chinese show up there because most of the DRC soldiers for the UN come from India, Pakistan, and, and, and lesser developed countries uh, when it comes to military operations. So now that the rules of engagement in the DRC have changed for the UN to try and get some control of what's going on in the eastern Congo, uh, it might be interesting to see if the Chinese contribute there as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much left out the DRC for the same reason that you left out Egypt. 
you know, is that yeah. it, it's such a ma- multilateral, incredibly complicated bit of a miasma of a situation, um, you know, that it might not be the perfect place for China to to kind of to make this debut, you know, kind of where, because there's so many rebel groups that tend to morph into other rebel groups. They, they you know, there's so many external African countries involved. Um, it might be too complicated for them, you know, kind of as, you know, if, if they don't have a lot of, of experience with Africa, but, you know, they might very well. You it, know, it's I'm a freaking sure. cesspool out there, and, and there's really nothing that can, you know, it's a no-win situation for the Chinese there, because if they're forced to pursue rebels across the border to Uganda and to Rwanda, if they get involved in combat operations, you can see at the same time the domestic political opinion. I don't think in China is going to be too supportive of combat deaths in Africa from, from Chinese troops. So that, you know, mm. I actually share mm. your skepticism there as well, uh, that the DRC, but I just put that on there because if what Braudigam is saying is that they need to take a larger role in global peacekeeping operations, the DRC is interesting because of the scale of its operations there. But I, 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 I share your your your, uh, your skepticism there. So, well, that'll do it for this edition of the of the show. We would love to hear from you. Uh, we are trying a new format now. Uh, you know, after two years of doing our podcast, and we're up to about ten thousand uh, weekly downloads uh, of the show. We've gotten some wonderful feedback from people saying they like the show, but you know, our old format was doing three topics in a single show, making it about an hour-long podcast, and people said that that was a little too long. So what we're doing now is taking a single topic, making it a little bit shorter, and uh, we'd love to hear, what do you prefer? Do you want us to do it longer or shorter? So tell us on Facebook, on Twitter, via email. Uh, you can you can reach us any number of different ways. Uh, Kobus, if people want to talk to you on uh, on the interweb, what's the best way to reach you? Well, I'm on Twitter at Starnesque. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And I'm also updating our Facebook page every day. Um, yeah, so please, you know, kind of everyone, let us know what you think about the new format. We try and do it three times a week. So it's pretty much the same podcast, only divided up. Um, and, yeah, let us know which works better for you. Once again, our Facebook page is facebook.com slash China Africa Project. For those of you who speak Chinese, we're also on Weibo. Eric Meister is, uh, you know, holding down the fourth there doing Chinese posts for us and that's at weibo.com slash zhongfeixiangmu that is China Africa Project in Chinese uh, if you'd like to follow the podcast go ahead and find us on iTunes that's probably the best way we're also on SoundCloud on Stitcher and you can find us on, on the Blackberry Network around the world but particularly in South Africa so once again thank you so much for listening to the China in Africa podcast until next time we'll talk to you then